Whether you've overdone it at the gym, at the dinner table, or on the couch, AHM Health Insurance have a cover for you. Join direct at ahm.com.au. It's been a big week of college football. It's finally upon us. The wait is over. I've spent the entire weekend watching a whole bunch of uh, football games. And, Lockie, I'm sure you have too. It's been tremendous to have football back, I reckon, mate. Absolutely. And, like, as always, the, the, the first four weeks of the season are always ones that I enjoy, mainly because I look for the the upsets of the paid-for games, ones where the FPS teams pay to have an FCS opponent, usually somewhere in the range of a few hundred thousand to even up to a million dollars. And you got that. And look for the upsets. And, and we week, got yeah. one. And maybe that person may get a mention later on in the show. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's great to have uh, the football season back. We've remarked this uh, off-air in, in our other shows is that uh, there's nothing like college football season. There's just nothing like it in the world of sport. It's off the charts. There's so many teams that you can potentially like, the, 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 the ones that rise, the ones that drop, and, and just the actual atmosphere. It's just a crazy, crazy, crazy uh, sporting system. And because you and I don't have lives, we got to spend the entire weekend watching college football. So I watched five out of the six games that were broadcast on ESPN throughout the weekend. So I'm, uh, I'm well and truly into the swing of things at the moment. My favorite game from the weekend, i got to say, was the Baylor-SMU game that started off with about five touchdowns in the first seven minutes. I've always loved watching Baylor, and by always I mean for the last two or three years because they haven't been uh, terrific for their entire existence. They've only started coming into relevance over the last decade or so. But they are actually tremendous to watch. Their offense is spectacular. Their defense, not so much. Still got some work to do. But I thought that there was going to be a bit of uh, trouble when uh, Bryce Petty uh, left the program, but you can really plug in any quarterback, and Seth Russell came in for Baylor and really did a terrific job. You can plug in any quarterback, and you're going to uh, get some production out of that because they've got so many weapons. Their offensive line's terrific, and I just love watching them play. Yeah, I'm excited too. Uh, mainly through was the, the, the interesting parts of the first week for me were, were, were a few things. One, um, the upset of Stanford, um, twenty ranked 21 in this was preseason. To Northwestern. To yeah. Northwestern, still Big Ten, but obviously got uh, some, some severe limitations there. I found it interesting that Michigan State... Um, you know, uh, weren't weren't nearly as dominant of, of Western Michigan of what they should have been when we're talking about a, a number five uh, uh, ranked team. And their quarterback Connor Cook is one of the favourites for the Heisman Trophy as well. I wonder how long that'll go on for. Yeah, and well, you know, the th- interesting thing about Cook is he wasn't named a team captain in the last week, which he came out and, and said he didn't like. But they didn't put away Western Michigan, which uh, which I, I thought, you know, uh, maybe that's overrating Michigan State a little bit. Um, but uh, other things I thought uh, were, were really good to open the season is, you know, the highlights of, uh, of some uh, of some freshman rook, um, quarterbacks, some rookies and things like that. Always good to see who's, uh, um, you know, uh, comes to comes to the forefront when uh, college season rocks around. Um, but also the other thing we didn't mention is uh, LSU's game got cancelled because, yeah, uh, because of lightning. So um, lots of things happened this week, but, uh, you know, uh, it's the first of uh, 12 weeks of, uh, of football. I was actually impressed by Alabama. So they were third seed playing a Wisconsin who were what 20th seed and they actually got the win in the end so obviously a lot of people thought if there were any potential for one of these big guns to drop a game in the first round of the season it would have been Alabama because there was so much uh, I guess uncertainty over their quarterback situation in the end they named his quarterback pretty much two minutes before the start of the game and that was the one that we I guess all chose or all predicted would take uh, the first snap and that was Jake Coker played all right I don't think he did anything to disappoint and they got the win quite considerably. When you have the weapons that Alabama have, 
it's kind of like the situation at Baylor. You don't really, it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. You can just kind of slot anyone in and they're going to be dangerous because their running backs, their wide receivers, their offensive line is terrific. And their defense, they're monsters on defense. Alabama. I think, uh, you absolute know, monsters. Alabama's watched the stretch now. I think uh, six number one recruiting classes in a row, or five, 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 six, or seven uh, number one recruiting classes in a row. So they're always getting the top talent or the best classes of talent out. So again, if there's any team that can plug and play just with uh, incoming talent, it's Alabama. However, the thing that we need to, uh, the thing that excites me that hasn't happened yet is the game tomorrow, Ohio State and uh, Virginia Tech. For those who don't uh, remember or, or just uh, need a bit of a refresh, Virginia Tech was the only team that knocked Ohio State off last year. It yeah. was the upset. Yeah. And now Ohio State, uh, having spoken to uh, some of their players, or one of their players, Cam actually, Johnston, Cam Johnston you know, they've got a chip on their shoulder and they're, um, and, and they're going to go out and, and they're going to dominate this season. You'd expect them to run the table, or their favourites to, to run the table. They were uh, a, a unanimous decision for the number one in the AP poll, Perry uh, poll, which is the first time I think it's happened in college football history. So it was they're, they're highly regarded as favourites. They're expected to run the table. With a team like Alabama, let's just go back to Alabama for one moment. With a team like Alabama, they've got the toughest schedule out of any uh, FBS team in the nation. They can afford, I would think, to drop one, maybe even two games throughout their season. Someone like Ohio State who doesn't have as much of a uh, a tough run, how many games do you think they can actually afford to drop? Who, Alabama? No, how many games can you uh, Ohio State afford to drop, do you think? None. They've got a weak schedule. Yeah, exactly. Um, they've got an easy schedule, but they won't get beaten, and, and they don't deserve to be at the top. I mean, you see year, out, year in, year out, you know, maybe you can drop one game basically all season if you want to be considered for um, uh, for the college football player. Unless or, you're a Big 12 team. What, what do you mean? If you're Baylor or uh, or TCU and you only lose one game and you don't have that national, uh, you don't have that uh, conference championship, championship yeah. game, then you're going to look unfavorably upon by the committee. Yeah, and look, I think uh, they, they're going to uh, rectify that. I think in the next year or so, they're talking about it. But uh, look, I think um, look, Ohio State they, they won't drop a game. I mean, if they do, then they don't deserve to be there. I mean, they've got an easy schedule. Um, look, they've got all the parts they need. Urban Meyer, I don't think uh, expected. Or it wasn't in the plan to win last year. Um, I think everything... Especially once uh, Braxton Miller went down with an injury. JT Barrett came in as a backup QB. And then towards the end of the season, he got injured. And then they got Cardell Jones to jump in. And now they, they won the championship with their third-string QB. So it was an interesting season for uh, for Ohio State. It was an interesting off-season because they had to kind of choose who the number one QB is going to be. We expected it to be JT Barrett, especially after Cardale Jones went to hospital a couple of days ago with some dizzy spells, I think it was. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens Yeah, I'm there. not sure if that just got overblown. He just had a headache and everyone made it sound like a medical emergency. But um, but look, I think um, Meyer, when he came in a few years ago, a couple of years ago, you know, I think everything was building into this season was where he was maybe expecting the pieces would come together because obviously when you inherit a program you know you don't expect you, you can't expect to come in and especially at the level which college football has played you know just expect to be able to pull, pull pieces together straight away so um, I think uh, Ohio State potentially could be a really scary outfit this year um, you know Zeke Elliott and um, and uh, you know all their weapons you know I think that uh, watch out because you know I'd be surprised if uh, if they've been Let's get to the next item on the agenda. Item two on the agenda today is the prevalence of basketball, footwear, slash apparel companies increasing dominance or influence on the high school recruiting scene and the implications that has on the domestic uh, high school recruits and, I suppose, what their aim is and how that's impacting recruiting at a lower level today. 
see, I like this because you brought up the, this topic with me earlier on in the week, and I read a book last year called Play Their Hearts Out, which kind of touches on this subject. So I kind of have a, a, a basic knowledge on, on what this is about and what these apparel companies are actually trying to achieve by infiltrating the, uh, I guess, the, the youngest students and not only the, uh, the college players and the, uh, the high school players, but even younger, the AAU basketball and all this sort of stuff. So they've infiltrated not only these, um, these tournaments, like we're going to touch on in a sec with the Elite 24 and the uh, EYBL and the Adidas Nations, all that sort of stuff, but they're also touching on the, uh, the AAU basketball teams and all this sort of stuff. So it's going to be an interesting chat. And, and what brought this up was just, uh, I think, just two weeks ago now, is that the most uh, you know, publicly known one or the, the most high-profile event is the uh, Under Armour Elite 24. And it's evolved. It's 10 years old this year. It started off in Rucker Park in New York City um, as an outball, street ball sort of competition. And it's evolved going from, oh, I think it went over to the West Coast in LA for, for a couple of years. And then recently it's been just uh, on the um, near the Brooklyn Bridge uh, outside under lights um, next to New York City. And it's where, obviously, as the name suggests, the top 24 um, prospects, um, and they can be any age. Um, uh, high school prospects. High school is, prospects yeah. throw down. And they have like you know a dunk contest and all this sort of thing. And what happened recently was that Nike, because they didn't want Under Armour's Elite Twenty Four to be the last, I suppose, event, yeah. event or the involvement with these kids, is that and it was very strategic. I think in the end, a lot of people made this out to sound like it was a last minute decision. But I think they only publicised it last minute, so Under Armour couldn't do anything about it. Is that they created this um, EYBL, which is their version of, I suppose, the Elite Twenty Four, their basketball tournament showcase event. Yeah, Elite Youth Basketball League. That sense for yeah. as well. And they are uh, all expenses paid trip to the Bahamas. So really, these kids, these top prospects are going, okay, do I stay in New York and do the Elite 24, which has now got some brand recognition and, and cred and it's cool and it's in New York under lights and all this all sort of stuff. All my mates know about it, all this sort yeah, of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Or do we go with Nike, which has such a stranglehold? I think they have... They controlled uh, 85% of sneaker, basketball sneaker sales in the US. Um, like they absolutely dominated. And uh, obviously these kids who you know uh, may come from less affluent backgrounds go, damn, let's go to Bahamas for like a couple of days. And they played inside a gymnasium and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't, didn't have the coolness factor, but they went to Bahamas. And it's, it's this comp- uh, competition between these um, shoe apparel companies. And Adidas is the, is the third one now. Under Armour's usurped them as like the number two brand in the US. But it's this, it's this constant jockeying for position with these high school prospects to build that brand um, uh, relationship or equity with that uh, prospect to not only get the sneaker sales and also get kids that see their favorite junior basketball stars wear their kit, but I also think it's evolving into uh, these companies that have these relationships with these kids at this early age going, all right, well, I went to the Elite 24. I love Under Armour. They hate sweet swag, yeah. um, all this sort of stuff. They want, they want to start the brand loyalty early on. And then that, that might impact recruiting. Because in football, you see a lot of the um, uh, kids go to Nike schools more than they go to Adidas or the top prospects. That's a big thing for them. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe, now that Under Armour's in at Maryland, they're at Notre Dame, they're at... Um, where are some other big programs that they're at? Um, or just big universities in general. You've got uh, uh, Northwestern and, and things like that. Is that going to Utah? Is that going to be something where kids, when they play these junior competitions, is that going to impact where they decide to go because they got this brand loyalty with Under Armour? Well, see, it's interesting because a lot of 
when I was reading that book, Play Their Hearts Out, which is a terrific book, and I'm going to get you to get onto it at some stage very soon, it was talking about AAU basketball and how these sports companies are trying to infiltrate the AAU system and pretty much brand the AAU teams as a Nike team or as an Adidas team or as an Under Armour team, whatever have you, and they'll actually influence indirectly or directly what college they go to based on the brands that these colleges are associated with. So if you've got a Nike AAU team, then they're going to push you towards a Nike college based on whether, you know, if, if you've got 5, 10, 15 schools recruiting you, they're going to try to get you to that Nike school because they've they've had you under their brand since you've been 15, 16 years old. So they're trying to get in younger and younger and create this brand uh, loyalty, like we are saying before, with these younger kids because they just the, the, the business is the fact that you've got to get them in a lot younger than you used to. And I think that's why I brought it up was that, you know, I think that the, the actual sponsorship and creation of these events is, is twofold. It's not just to get exposure of the brand on a national level or international level for, for consumers to see the Under Armour logo. I think it also is a strategic move and I think it's going to become more and more of a, of um, prevalent as you know this Under Armour Nike war grows and escalates because Under Armour is charging real hard at Nike at the moment um, and, and taking ground off them every year is that maybe for the college teams which already have these relationships like I said with Under Armour and Notre Dame and things like that is that going to be an asset for places like Notre Dame that they've aligned with Under Armour that maybe they can get these kids because they've already got that established relationship yeah. And it also helps these brands try to pry away athletes who were with another uh, brand. So if you've got a kid who's playing with an AAU team that's associated with Adidas, you go, all right, look, we're going to pay for a trip to uh, to the Bahamas for you. Come play with our Nike-associated tournament. And then they can pry away a potential athlete from the competition. And what we found is we, there was three of the top prospects out of the, out of the current class that actually um, declined or forwent the uh, Under Armour uh, Elite 24, to go to the Bahamas. I think Harry Giles went, um, uh, Tatum went, um, I forget who the other one was um, that uh, turned down as well to go to the Nike one. Um, but then we've got things like uh, these co-branded or um, uh, events like the Steph Curry Select 30 camp, um, which obviously Steph Curry's uh, brand ambassador for Under Armour. And now he's running these, you know, um, uh, these camps where he's obviously the the feature now that he has a signature shoe with Under Armour and things like that. Is that not only are you working off uh, college program loyalty in terms of oh yeah, you know, uh, Oregon's Nike program, which is probably the the, the, the biggest, the most obvious yeah. way in terms of how that that, um, that these apparel companies that influence recruiting. But now also that everyone looks at Steph Curry, the MVP, one of the most liked, if not the most liked, high-profile like yeah. player. Like he's probably more liked than uh, LeBron or and, James Harden or someone James like that. James Harden yeah. or Durant, from just like an overall perspective, you know. And people go, oh, "Love Curry, what a great story he's got." These Curry ones, they look sick. Um, I don't know why I sound like uh, Bo Ryan there. Um, <laughs> no, international people won't get that reference unless you're an Australian. Uh, and they, you know, and and they might get some more affinity towards Under Armour. And Under Armour is killing it at the moment because their brand ambassadors, Steph Curry for basketball, Jordan Spieth for golf, Misty Copeland, who's just from a women's sport perspective. And they jumped on Jordan Spieth just before he, uh, he, oh, he won, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And who's the other one I'm thinking of? Andy Murray for tennis. Um, you know, with the exception of Murray, who's still, you know, top three in the world, um, all their brand ambassadors are absolutely killing it. And Under Armour is just increasing year on year. So what I just want to ask the question to you, Chris, is... 
you know, what, um, h- how far is too far in terms of commercialising? Is this an exploitation of juniors when we're doing all this sort of commercialization of it? I'd say absolutely, but we're not going to see it change. That's the problem. There's nothing you can really do to change it because they're not breaking any laws or anything like that. I do think that there is a point where you go, when you're trying to influence what these kids are doing when they're 15 or 16 by trying to associate them with a certain brand, then we're kind of getting into iffy territory a little bit, but there's no, there's going to be no way of, of changing the way that that runs. That's, that's, that's the biggest problem for me. Well, I, I suppose the other way I'd phrase it is that you know, I think these um, apparel companies. Uh, so it's kind of like the current issue that's going on with uh, the NCAA at the moment is that uh, the athletes want to almost unionize and they want to get paid because they they, they feel like they're more employees than they are just students yep. because they're getting income in. Now these high school athletes are basically being used under the guise of like a high school recruiting camp, tournament, whatever, like, you know, oh, coaches will to, see you. Yeah. It, it, it's used, it's a marketing tool for these apparel companies to sell more shoes. Yeah. And I suppose the question is, is that... Should they get a cut or something like that? Well, is yeah, that I mean, it's something along those lines or is it, you know, it, it, it's it's more just, not if it's right or wrong or because it, at the moment it is what it is, but I, I just feel as though it's not, it's the exact same thing that's happening in the NCAA. These kids yeah. are being exploited um, Their likeliness is being used to benefit these shoe companies. In, in yeah. many ways. It's not an identical um, comparison, but it's very similar. Yeah. And um, look, I think uh, the one we haven't spoken about yet is Adidas. Um, uh, Kevin Plank, the Under Armour CEO, recently said in an interview with Bloomberg Business that um, – uh, he, he called Adidas their dumbest competitor, which I thought was pretty staggering for a CEO to come out um, and, and say that about someone else. But um, Adidas have the Adidas Nations, which from a concept perspective is really smart in that they're going for the best basketball talent from each of the continents, continents uh, playing off against the regional um, centres of or, um, of the US. So you've got the Midwest, the West, the East and the South. Um and so, you know, there's all these different strategy around it. Adidas, though, you know, there's always been criticism that their apparel looks crap and, and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, it's becoming this it's this really interesting war that's um, erupting between Adidas, Under Armour and Nike for competition of this, you know, apparel shoe market um, under the guise of high school recruiting and these showcase events. So, so how would you like to see these tournaments structured? Is there a way that they could structure it rather than just having it as if it was essentially an all-star weekend kind of deal where they're just going to play a game, do the dunk competitions, show off their skills? Is there a way that they could actually structure these tournaments to make it look a little bit better, I guess, for oh, lack of a better word? But, uh, that's the thing. Is I, I really don't know where I stand on this because like, at the end of the day, you've got the best kids competing, so it's a great event. But what I'm just saying is that it's sort of been it's been missed at the moment uh, in the way that we're talking about the NCAA athletes situation and whether or not they're employees because they're generating revenue for the universities. The the exact same thing's happening at the sub level at yeah. the high school level, but it's not getting it's not really actually got any attention paid to it at the yeah. moment that this is actually happening. And can you work around it? Or oh, well, I don't I don't think we're there yet, but I think that potentially. It'd be really interesting that if the NCAA ever have to end up classifying their student athletes as employees because they're generating such revenue for the universities and are classified as employees, is that, well, 
I would say logically or rightfully, the next step would be down, well, at all these showcase events, these these events which are telecast on TV, yeah. right, and that you know um, all these kids are getting is some free swag and maybe some national exposure, do they deserve a bit of a cut for actually generating this you know event? Because the event's nothing without them. Does it make any difference the fact that they actually choose to participate? Are they getting invited or are they? Yeah, they're invited. So they're invited, but they don't have to choose to go. No. And so but, I guess yeah. that's it's it's not as if they're saying, all right, if you want to come to our college or if you want to come play for, in the NBA, you have to go to these tournaments. You know what I mean? So it's not something that they're forced to do. It's something that they're invited to do under the um, pretenses in- that they're not going to get paid or anything like that. They're going to get. Uh, but you're invited to college, you get scholarship offer. Yeah, that's true. But, but um, if you're an American student, then you, if you want to go to the NBA, then the best course is to go through college. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I feel like it would be a lot more detrimental for a player, for a basketballer in the states, to miss out on a college scholarship than to miss out on playing in one of these tournaments. Yeah, but the, the, I'm not necessarily making an argument here. I'm, I'm, I'm more just um, highlighting the fact that it's not a double standard yet because the NCAA. You know, and they may never, given that you know how you know um, rigid these things are. Um, you know, will ever become employees and get paid, or in an official capacity, they might get a stipend, which is classified slightly differently. But there's the exact same exploitation of these athletes for they probably deserve more um, reward than what they're actually technically being given, and I think it's happening at the high school level now with this commercialization of these basketball showcases yeah. and it hasn't been it hasn't been talked about at all yet yeah. and I think it's really interesting that it hasn't been talked about yet where it's the exact same situation yeah see I agree with you I was just playing devil's advocate before with yeah. what I was saying, but I absolutely agree with you there there is a stage where it does become a little bit too much but so the question has to be asked is though well, and this may be a topic for another day is should NCAA athletes be paid? And if they do get paid... I think we all agree that they probably should. You reckon? Yes. I, I, I think there's different ways around it. We'll probably we'll touch on that another day. But at the same time, I think if that happens, then you have to deal with the high school thing too. Because, yeah. um, you know, there, there's you know these kids are having their, not likeness, but they're, they're, they're being profited off, whether it be TV rights deals with these events being streamed yeah. or whatever, and all they're getting is some free apparel. So... Um, I think that uh, it'd be interesting to see if someone actually takes this issue and starts publicising it. I think we're we're groundbreakers because I don't think anyone else has mentioned this part of it. The fact that it's the exact same situation, yeah. it's a double standard almost. So I'd be very curious to see uh, if maybe there's a bit more publicity now that you know Under Armour, Nike, and and Adidas to an extent are going uh, you know uh, balls out in terms of war against one another. Um, to, to try and get some greater brand equity. It's really interesting. That's why we put it on the agenda for today, Lucky. Yep. And, uh, you know, so exciting to see if uh, we can maybe get some international publicity crystals. Hey, let's get into our winners and losers of the week. Now, in this segment, Lucky, you and I take a look at the biggest winner and loser of the week. We'll take it in turns to do the winner and the loser this week. I've got the winner of the week. You've got the loser of the week. We'll start off with you. Who is your biggest loser of the week in the world of college sports? Oh, I don't think there's... Any possible debate for this this week? I think it's it's quite clear cut, um, and uh, I kind of get a little bit of joy out of this because as a university and as a um, as a sports program, I don't like them at all. I um, you know 
I just there's something about them that I just inherently just don't like. Um, and so the loser of the week, the inaugural loser of the week, uh, goes to Kansas University's football team, uh, the Jayhawks, rock chalk as they say. Uh, I saw one uh, commentator uh, declared their um, their football team a dumpster fire. Um, I uh, heard them talk about them as a tire fire, which kind of like the same thing. So I'm not sure what you'd view as worse: a dumpster fire or a tire fire? Dumpster. Dumpster fire. Yep. Okay. Dumpster. Because there's fi- rubbish in there as well. Yeah. You can at least use the tire for something. So there's. Yeah, you could probably reuse it. So a dumpster fire. So you want to? How could you possibly be called a dumpster fire? Well, when you're a power five. Big 12 football team, which has a massive athletic program such as Kansas, and you lose to an FCS program, you're a dumpster fire. Now, Kansas, they didn't, to be honest, they didn't, they weren't even really close. And it wasn't until the Jackrabbits, South Dakota State, uh, basically, you know, not choked, but they they let they let go of a massive lead from the first half uh, in their uh, opening game on the weekend, and, and KU came back to their credit, um, against an FCS team, for God's sake, and almost almost had the win. So it was, uh, I forget how long it was, maybe like a few seconds, maybe a minute to go. I don't know, it was a few seconds to go. KU, uh, their quarterback, uh, uh, what's his name, Montel Kozad, all he had to do was spike the ball, which is quite a normal thing to see in, in football at, at, at a college and football level. It's quite a simple skill to do. All you have to do is take the football. That's basically all we have to do. That's the one gray area or the the one area that you could possibly mess up but it's quite simple they just take the snap and spike the football to stop the clock so they could go for a tying field goal now they couldn't even do that they fumbled the spike and caused uh kozak to have the jump on top of the ball and basically they were down by three anyway and they the the clock expired and they lost to south dakota state and it's like well you know maybe it was just a uh you know a, a once in a, a blue moon occurrence but KU, dumpster fire of the week, loser of the week. They've had four head coaches in seven years, right? They've just gone. Clearly, their football program isn't as successful or as revered as their basketball program that we've known in the past decade or so, and even longer, has been very successful. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think um, uh, the, on the Facebook comment section of, uh, of uh, I forget who it was, maybe ESPN on the weekend, the first comment that usually had, gets the most likes or whatever, like thousands of likes or whatever, was just like, when's uh, basketball season starting again or something yeah. like that? Um, so KU, um, Kansas, I mean, God's sake, get your shit together. You know, you're an absolute basket case. You're a big uh, Power 5, Big 12 football program that has all the um, assets in the world, you know, Get your shit together. It is only week one. They'll, they'll bounce back and... Uh, no, they won't. They're a dumpster fire. Good rinse. <laughs> now, I'm going to uh, have a look at the winner of the week. Let's, let's change. You, you're, you're very angry over there. You've got negative energy in the room. I, I, think, that, I think that actually plays into my strengths. I, I think, think that's why I should be the loser of the week every week. I have a lot of anger. We'll see how we go. But I've got the winner of the week. I'm a more positive person than you. And <laughs> I had a... a because I'm very positive, I, I wanted to put in about three or four winners of the week because I'm just a, a happy guy and I, I want to reward a whole bunch of people for all the good that they've done over the weekend. All right, get on with it. In the end, I went for the Chosen Rosen. That's not his nickname. It absolutely is his nickname. Josh Rosen, the freshman quarterback, the true freshman quarterback for UCLA who played a terrific game over the weekend, got the win. Debut. De- got, got the win in his debut. Phenomenal. So he threw for 28 from 35, threw for 351 yards, average of 10 yards, three TDs, a quarterback rating of 90.8. I 
broke the UCLA freshman quarterback record for passing. That's a tremendous outing. He, this is a kid who was number two on the ESPN quarterback list coming into this season behind Blake Barrett, who um, signed on at Alabama. Number 50th overall in ESPN's 200 list. And he's just shown that UCLA are a force to be reckoned with in the Pac-12. Before the season started, I had USC as my Pac-12 favorites because I like Cody Kessler. But Actually, the no, chosen I've, Rosen... I've got a joke. Go on. Can, can we get some sound effects? Maybe, maybe... If he keeps going up, has a record-breaking season, maybe they can rename UCLA's home of football to the Rosen Bowl. I don't mind that. That's pretty good. Can we can laughter? Where is it? Where's the button? I haven't got, if you told me in advance, I would have got okay. it for you. Come on, that's pretty good. Or maybe, you know. No, yeah. I like it. Oh. <laughs> so Jeez, win- roaring with laughter, Chris. <laughs> so the winner of the week, it wasn't Malik Zaire, who I was thinking of, for, uh, for Notre Dame, who had a terrific uh, first-up win. It wasn't Alabama, who a lot of people were kind of a bit hesitant on because they didn't know who their starting quarterback was going to be. In the end, they played both uh, Jake Coker and um, who's the other bloke's name? Um, I can't remember the, the, uh, the, the backup quarterback's name, but they had a good win uh, against Wisconsin, against another ranked opponent. But in the end, the chosen Rosen, Josh Rosen, gets my winner of the week.